You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm excited today to talk to McKinsey Bushy about a deep dive in virtual sales. McKinsey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Fantastic. Well, McKinsey, before we get started on the topic, can you let our audience know who you are and how you got to where you are? Happy to do so. So I joined Bain in 2008 after graduating with a degree in the classics. I was a Latin major. And based on that, like many Latin majors, I chose to enter management consulting because we have bills too. Although I do hope someday to use my Latin skills to consult for the Vatican. So if Pope Francis is a listener, you now know that I would like to consult for you. I was a generalist until I went to Kellogg, and then I fell in love with marketing and go-to-market strategy. Since then, I have focused exclusively on commercial excellence. And the great thing about consulting is I've been able to do this across a myriad of industries and companies, from cloud companies to software companies to hardware, even outside of tech and distribution and industrials. Wow. Well, let's dive into it then. So virtual sales, you picked the topic, and we always do this on the podcast just so that everybody's on the same page. We define the topic. So why did you pick virtual sales and tell us a little bit more about it? So the reason I chose virtual sales is I've had a lot of clients, current ones, as well as future or ones um, asking about it. So once COVID hit, all of the sales people went virtually by, not by choice, but because they had to. And what we're seeing in a lot of companies is that sales haven't fallen off a cliff. And so we're getting a lot of questions like, do I need to have my sales reps travel anymore? Sales reps always say yes, but a lot of companies are like, please don't come visit. And then secondly, they've also seen an uptick in a lot of B2B e-commerce sales. And so we're getting a lot of questions about that as well. When we say virtual sales, we define it at Bain as virtual selling, virtual sales capability that enables a company to interact with customers, leveraging digital tools and technology versus being in person. There are four basic types. The first is traditional inside sales. So this is what people often imagine when we say virtual sales. You have inside reps sitting in call centers, contacting customers via the phone or video conference. Then there are virtual in-person hybrids. This is where a rep spends 90% of time not with a client and then travels for important events like a closing. Then there are virtual on-demand specialists or specialists on the dial or on video folks that you can call in when you need them. So for instance, one company I work with has someone highly specialized in technology for autonomous vehicles, and they're able to cover meetings with Mercedes in Germany on the same day as with Ford in Michigan. And then finally, there is digital or touchless selling or B2B e-commerce. Fantastic. Well, let's dive into B2B e-commerce first, and then tell us about the research that you've done and what are the lessons that we've learned from it. Yeah, so... B2B e-commerce, most people, when they think e-commerce, they think B2C, right? You're thinking Amazon. That's because B2B is very far behind. Tech is probably the farthest ahead based off of our research with companies in manufacturing, I mentioned to industrials, even farther behind than that. And they've been doing a lot of catching up recently, especially with COVID. So 
for these clients, we recommend starting with the value proposition. Like what do your customers really want when you're trying to figure out your digital strategy? So you should develop a digital strategy and where you want to use digital for each customer, product, and buying occasion, and then choosing the right platform for it. You don't have to have an e-commerce Amazon site. Maybe you want to use EDI or a gated portal, or even you just want to use third-party e-commerce. You should ask yourself, does your customer want to purchase that way and does it make sense in the terms of business value? And then secondly, one of the biggest mistakes is customers that we have or clients that we have try to do everything on their own. And so I have many clients trying to build their own websites, some of them which are not as good at it. So I had a one client that came to me, actually I think three in the last three weeks, who built a website 10 to 15 years ago, and yet five, less than 5% of their sales on it. When I go to that website, it's straight out of the dial-up days and optimized for Netscape Navigator. I'm literally hearing you've got mail in my head when I open it up. So no wonder your customers get stuck and then call a sales rep anyways. How many of your customers tried to use the website and failed? Maybe they couldn't get the delivery to multiple locations. Maybe they couldn't add a seat on the website or add an additional license. Maybe couldn't get, they couldn't get their contract pricing there. Nowadays, there are a lot of out-of-the-box solutions like Salesforce Commerce that they should consider instead of building their own website. I would also say that if you're not seeing success on your website, definitely deploy Mouseflow or Hotjar any one of those tracking tools. So you can actually record the sessions of your customers so that you can see what they're doing. And, and you can see where they drop off and give up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know? And so, so it's like the, the tools exist today. They, the, and that's why one of the reasons why we built this podcast is because a lot of the stuff that we share is super actionable, but it's for executives. So carry on. Like, let's l- hear more for, of your research. Yeah. So... Uh, We've done a lot of research, and Forrester has done research as well. So they'll say, and we know this, e-commerce, not surprisingly, is growing double digits, B2B e-commerce, and more than a fifth, if not more, of all B2B business in the next five years will be online, uh, never mind um, the research that customers are doing online. So even if they're not purchasing online, according to Bain's research, 80% of customers have already decided the product specs and what they want from online research. And 35% of them have chosen their vendor in advance, even before they ever pick up the phone and call a sales rep. Alarmingly, many companies are not ready for this. Based on mass surveys that we ran, only 10% of companies think they have harmoniously incorporated various digital channels. And only 7% think they have a deep understanding of the customer's digital activities and behaviors. And these marks are what companies are giving themselves on their digital competency. Never mind what their customers are thinking. This is pretty scary given how much of the business is likely to go online. More and more customers are expecting that Amazon-like experience when they buy, even through business to business. Companies sometimes forget that their buyers are consumers on Amazon outside of their work hours. Or based up what I've seen sometimes during their lunch breaks. Or between meetings. Or between like Zoom calls, you know. <laughs> what else are you supposed to do? Early, someone needs toilet paper, they're on Amazon, <laughs> exactly. right? <laughs> exactly. You know, you know, the, the interesting part of this is if people always like to buy from other people, right? And then and then you have this like big, big thing about about commerce and websites and stuff like that, right? And then when you go to executives and say, hey, have you ever been outbounded by your own team? 97%, you don't even have to do survey, I'll just tell you, 97% of them will say, no, we have not. And if you're listening to this podcast, I challenge you, or actually I encourage you, right? Take your personal email address and throw it into your database without telling anybody, just to see what the experience is like. What you learn 
is going to be extremely valuable. And then you can come to McKinsey and say, hey, I have a problem. How do I fix this? And she's going to have lots of strategies for you. That's a great, great piece of advice because most people are like, I don't understand why fewer than 5% of my customers are yeah. this way. And they're like, oh, you haven't tried to buy online. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. I mean, this is that's how this podcast started, by the way, because we're, we were trying to build our go-to-market around uh, outbounding and stuff. And we just said, why don't we just have these people like connect with us? And we realized that we want to work with the executives. And the experience was really crappy and nobody enjoyed it. Neither the, the prospect, nor the people that are prospecting, nor the executives that are managing those people. So like, why are you doing something that nobody is enjoying? And so we've created this podcast and voila, we are, we're in word business and we're creating meaningful relationships. And there's tons of other stuff that has come out of this, this podcast. So maybe that's the other takeaway that if you're stuck, just start a podcast because you'll just be able to connect with people in a human and genuine manner. And then you can earn their business. You know, everybody knows that that business needs to get, needs to get done. Definitely. I think podcasts are outpacing or at least similar pace to B2B e-commerce sales right now. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Let me just think about that. So, okay. So back to research. So we're, we're in this world now that people have to adopt digital sales, right? And uh, and you rightly said it. I mean, it's, we used to call it virtual sales, but it's actually really digital sales because there's an element of marketing involved in the world, right? So what have you learned from building great experiences that it would be valuable for our audience? Yeah, UX is just so important in building a great B2B e-commerce experience. Before I get into like what I would recommend, I would say the best way is to start out small and iterate a lot with your customers before you roll anything out. Start with a wireframe. The best thing about it, which my fiance encourages, as we were talking about earlier when we plan a wedding, is that wireframes are cheap. Plus, it's done quickly and you can get early feedback. Then yes. once you have the feedback, pivot to a low fidelity prototype before launching a minimum viable product, which will help you inform product and market fit. As for the common best practices, there are a few. One, start with the landing page. It's the first user touch point. You usually click from email or some sort of a search when you're on Google and you should have an inspiring landing page with a benefit-oriented value proposition. Immediately invite the user to start shopping with a descriptive call to action. Second, have a great search function. Everyone expects Google-level searches on their website. It should be easy and intuitive for the user to search for relevant items and navigate categories. And please, I've had many clients do this, make sure that you have it sophisticated enough that your out-of-stock items, if you have hardware, are not floating to the top and always include the ability to sort or filter. Then on the product page, this is incredibly important and you need to have relevant product information in the value proposition here, displayed through videos, white papers, podcasts, whatever it may be, and then a clear call to action to purchase items, including a secondary call to action like a wish list or a phone number. What I will say on these first three, the longer you can go without having some sort of friction like a sign-in on a portal really matters because as we were saying, 80%, 80% of people are having their product specs in mind through research. So you don't want to block your customers out from learning about you, even if they don't have a login. Um, and then when you go to the purchase, you want to have a wish list and cart and you want to make sure they're optimized for conversion to checkout. So the user should be guided through checkout and make sure you reduce the forms to a minimum. Again, think of the one click through Amazon. And then just final notes, make sure your website is responsive across all devices. Thank you, mobile, which I believe went up even more than desktop 
which is wow. during work from home, right? So that's important. Um, and then secondly, um, think about fast loading times when you're thinking about the length and the quality of the videos. The reason why I say this, and people always make this mistake, they're like, well, what's four seconds, five seconds? Obviously, people are really going to be wait. You have to think about the fact that the group Google crawler actually penalizes your SEO score for slow loading times. After all, they call it the crawler, not the runner. Um, but great experiences are more important because the more difficult your website is to use, the more likely your customers are to sure to drop off um, and just call their rep or worse, a competitor. Yeah, I mean, like building an experience takes a lot of time and it's a lot of energy. And uh, it's interesting, you started with wireframe. The advice I was given to actually was actually to start with the sitemap. Don't even go to the wireframe. Just think about the pieces before that that you want to display. And the other tidbit that I'll share with you, which is which was shared by the by this uh, gentleman called Mitch Briggs from this company, Demandwell. And if you're all looking to understand how do you do automated SEO research for your website, you should definitely go check out Demandwell. I normally don't plug products in, but like this guy actually helped us. So his tidbit was use the disk profile elements on your web pages because some people will just want to come and skim your website. Do not put overly crowded headers, crowded headers to your website. So, and then when he said that, there was a light bulb moment and we shifted all of our, our, our pages like that and it actually affected conversion. And the second piece, which is have a primary CT and a, and a secondary CT, which is what you're recommending, actually helps too. Now, I understand this podcast for, for executives, but you're paid to go check and verify this work. And so you should know these things and learn from other people's experience, which is what Bikinzi is teaching us. No, that's great. I'm really glad you had good luck with that. But a lot of people don't even think about these things when they're building their website and they have no idea why people are dropping off at certain points. It's all about, if you think about it, the one clear thing, reduce friction, make it easy to purchase and easy to find everything. And the more you can do that, the more successful you're going to have with your website. Fantastic. So what can SaaS companies learn from all this? The newer SaaS companies are actually better at this, right? So they're targeting smaller businesses and they're starting to break barriers here, while some of the older legacy companies are starting to lag behind. So companies like Atlassian, HubSpot, and Freshdesk are really innovating in this space. Atlassian is everybody's favorite, right? And they've yep. been particularly successful and have half the sales and marketing costs of their competitors because they are successful in B2B e-commerce. And given they started in Australia, they felt that this was incredibly important because they had to make their product super easy to sell in the U.S. in a touchless model. After all, even their Australian sales reps were demanding that they be allowed to sleep. To do this, these innovative SaaS companies are modifying the product itself versus just their go-to-market, right? So it's a little bit more complicated. So you need a, a simpler version that can be sold on a website, especially for small and medium businesses if you're going after them. So if you think about your own business, right? I'm not going to name names, right? But you can think about Salesforce, right? Any like big product where you need a system integrator to come in for two years to install your software, right? You are never going to sell that online. But that doesn't mean that you can't learn from these others. One, as I said, you can create a new product that you can potentially sell to small and medium business or online. But more importantly, you can think about what else can you do online? Can you make it easy to renew your software online? Do they have to talk to a sales rep? Can you make it easy to add or take away seats or licenses online? So once they've configured it and already added it in, 
those are areas that legacy software companies should start to invest in. I mean, and and I think there is the notion in, at least in startup land, and I know this because I was literally in it, is take the examples and the learnings from their B2C counterparts and then apply them to B2B, which is literally what you were saying too. But it's come up multiple times, I would say, over the last 18 months or so. And it's very interesting because before that, none of this dialogue was actually happening. Like if you looked at like B2B procurement sites, they looked like crap. And so so, so, so that now you go to there, they have these amazing experiences and people are talking about like the colors and the logos and stuff like that. And, and I, think, I think we probably have to credit the last uh, 12 or so months to this because since every, if everybody's online and shopping and, and if on one tab, they have this amazing shopping experience which is very B2C centric and on the other side, they have a very B2B centric. They're going to prefer and want to go buy from the B2C company and, and spend more time on it, which is what I think the data would have shown. And hence, people started to put the B2C elements into the B2B sites. Well, definitely. I think that there's just a ton to learn from B2C. They're much further ahead. There's retail, but even if you think about it, like airlines and hotels, they're further ahead too, right? If you think about like your Marriott Bonvoy app and the ability yep. to just purchase whatever you want on it or the United app, the Delta app, that's yep. already gone. And like, look at who has gone before you and then start to invest, um, especially those who are a little bit more old fashioned. You're so kind. <laughs> that is the right word. You know? Like, like we need you to come and join us. So yeah, they're right. topic. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so this podcast is about helping execs make the jumps to super execs or senior execs and stuff, right? So what types of execs should take a project like this on? So e-commerce is fascinating because it's the intersection of a lot of different areas, right? And this yes. actually is sometimes where we see it, an issue with some of our clients. So usually sometimes like a CFO is thinking about this, the finance as a way to do a lower cost model, right? Get more bang for your buck. Then you have IT, chief digital officers, chief technology officers, CIOs, any of them who are thinking about how am I actually going to make this happen? But it's really important that sales and marketing is also focused on this and that all of these groups are working together when they make a decision about what the digital strategy could be. The reason is lots of times we see e-commerce grow stunted because sales reps and channel partners sabotage it. So instead of teaching their customers how to use the website, they actually urge them to call in instead. You know, it sounds crazy, but they're frightened that they are going to lose quota, job, all of that to the website, right? And they want to keep those relationships. So for senior execs, when you think about how to take on this project, you need to really make sure you enable your sales reps and your channel partners. They should be the super users for the website. And in order to do this, you also need to make sure that you have good change management and communication. Show them that this is going to let them focus on only the biggest, most important deals and get them out of the admin tasks that they hate. And you also need to incentivize them. So sales reps, and let's be honest, all of us are coin operated. Always pay them on this business for their customers, no matter whether it goes to their website or directly to them. And even better, give them product modifiers or spits for any of the business that they shift to touchless sales, just like any sales org. And I should mention from earlier, my wedding, you, you get what you pay for. <laughs> well, we'll get to that part in a sec, but I'm glad that you talked about the incentives because... Your in the incentives of your resources 
drive the behavior that you want. And if you do want to move everything to a touchless model, which by the way has a gross margin impact, right? Like, like and and you can actually move those resources that are sitting in in cost of goods sold over to other parts of the business, so that there's upsells and there's you know like all these other things that that you can, you can do, which is great. But tell us a little bit more about the wedding note that you just talked about. <laughs> so I mentioned multiple times. We were actually talking about it earlier before the podcast began. I'm getting married this year, but this is my second-ish, third-ish go-around with COVID. And so we've seen the impacts that COVID has, has had on B2B e-commerce, and we've seen the impact it's had on the wedding industry. Some are good and some are bad. <laughs> no worries. I mean, I feel like if this turn doesn't work out, which I'm hoping shortly to hope that does, and congrats on it, but maybe we need to try a touchless model. Yes, <laughs> I like it. We can learn a lot. Um, totally. from, from apps. Um, you guys can yes. look at dating apps and see how they've really done it. Um, they've done a great yeah. job. You just make it as easy as swiping left or right. Yeah, if there's anybody from Hall, if there's anybody, any executive from Hallmark listening to this call, you just need to basically bring the Vegas drive-by wedding online to basically swipe by wedding, you know, and there you go. You may have it. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> but, hey, we may actually come up with a great idea and then, then you can probably have this and uh, and do a case study on it. You know, maybe, maybe amazing things have come out of this podcast. Things, and people can just give gifts to you online as you're exactly. going. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. It can ask you yeah. to do things. It'll be great. Yeah. Like, kiss the groom. We'll give you two hundred dollars. It'll be wonderful. Exactly. And and then you do it over Zoom meeting, and then you can have a waiting room for the people that you don't want to join. And so they're always waiting, and they're like, "What happened?" We're like, "Well." It was a technology glitch. Exactly. I bet people did do this during the virtual weddings this yeah. year. I'll have to find I'm, out. I'm sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure they did. I'm sure. All right. Well, this is great. Um, we always ask people to share a resource with us, either a book, a blog, a newsletter, a video uh, to our listeners. So do you have a recommendation for us? Yes. Yeah, so I would recommend um, Michael Minkins' Time, Talent, and Energy. The book is all about how to unleash a team's productive powers when you have scant resources and the most scant resource is time. And so if you want to build a top-notch B2B e-commerce experience, you're definitely going to need a great team and a very efficient team as well. And so check that book out. Fantastic. All right. And again, we always ask people to recommend other people who are good in go-to-market or data science as you've been fantastic as a, as a guest. So are there other three other people that you would recommend? Yeah, so I would recommend um, Prabha Ramakrishnan. She's the VP of Global Sales Strategy and Go-to-Market Operations at Dell. And she knows a ton about data, runs the whole master data management team, infrastructure team, as well as designed um, Dell's current go-to-market. Uh, I'd also recommend Pilar Shank. Um, she is the VP and head of Global Sales Strategy and Operations at McAfee. And then Randy Huey. So he was a former SVP at Dell and then the SVP and Chief Growth Officer at Aetna um, before he actually just joined us at Bain this year. And we're very lucky to have him. Very good. Well, this is, this is fantastic, folks. And you definitely are super passionate about go-to-market and, and, and we love having you. And maybe we're going to have you back on the show again to, to, to do a review of, so what happened after people started traveling and was there an impact on virtual sales or not? It's really interesting when you look at the data, and this is what the big question is. If you ask the sellers, the sales reps, 
versus the buyers, their satisfaction with buying online, it's vast or buying virtually, it's vastly different. So the buyers actually prefer the model to stay the same as it has during COVID. So they barely want more interactions, right? It's the sellers that want to go back to being on the road. And that's going to be the tension. Do you listen to what the buyer wants or do you listen to what the seller wants? And so sales executives are going to need to be very clear on who is allowed to travel and who is not allowed to travel and what you can travel for if they don't want it to bounce back to a fully in-person travel because the sales reps actually want to leave. I think that all of their significant others have their bags packed at the front door, waving goodbye uh, right now. So, Well, this one is, I think uh, there's a simpler way to solve this, is what if companies said, we normally put 2 to 3% of revenue in T&E. We'll actually, all the dollars that you don't use, we'll split them in half with you. And you'll be idea. back to it. I love that idea. I, the question, have you met, you've met a lot of sales reps. You should just ask them on this podcast. You'd be like, would you take that deal? Yeah, yes. Would you still travel? Yeah. You have to ask. And I would be interested to, it would be interesting to what they say. Yeah. Maybe we should do that as, as a sunny side of Bain survey, you know, and then just see, Hey, how many people would actually want to do this? And then what we should do is we should say, well, there's a B2C version of this. And we should say, well, we are going to do this with, with, but the service for your wives. And if the wives are like, well, sure, we'll take this on. I think this would be no brainer because, like, you know, during COVID, I was home with my my kids, and it was it was a great time. You know, I mean, we would do like ice cream sessions and this sessions and all that stuff. And I actually I feel like got to know them more. They definitely got to know what I do a lot. And my son will now come in at around nine o'clock at night when I'm kind of just following up on stuff and pretend like he's working. He's three years old. That is adorable. And I agree there's a lot of positives, but as my fiance would say, he would not be adverse to me having a business trip once a month. It doesn't have to be four days a week of travel, but once a month, it would be okay. Well, I think you guys have some conversations to have, but this was uh, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for for taking the time and uh, and joining us on the, on the show. We look forward to staying in touch with you and uh, and best of luck on your journey. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was great getting to know you and, and hopefully giving all of your listeners a, a little bit of a taste on what we do in B2B e-commerce. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.